Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Cedar Home Online. My name is Dan Halleck, and I'm so thankful that you have joined us this morning to worship the Lord together. I hope that this past week has been a worshipful week for you as you celebrate the resurrected Lord Jesus. We have so much to celebrate just about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that, that it was through Jesus' resurrection that God declared that Jesus is not condemned Jesus is righteous. Jesus is vindicated in God's sight. And through the resurrection of Jesus, God declared to the whole world that Jesus' death on behalf of sinners has appeased God's wrath towards sinners. Amen. That's great news. And through Jesus' resurrection, God declared that every person who is united to Jesus through faith is also righteous in God's sight, just like Jesus is. Wow, so much good news. Um, we just thank the Lord for that. And, and, and it's really important to remember that Jesus' ministry on earth wasn't finished with the resurrection itself, though. Uh, Acts 1.3 says that for 40 days after Jesus' resurrection, he presented himself alive to his disciples using many different proofs, is what the scriptures say. You know, Jesus approached... Uh, and appeared to individuals. He appeared to small groups of people. He appeared to large groups of people. Jesus let people touch the holes in his hands where he was nailed to the cross. Jesus let people put their hands in the hole in his side where he was stabbed into the heart by the Roman spear. Jesus ate with people. Jesus walked with people. And Jesus spoke to people about the kingdom of God. How, you know, how, how amazing it would have been to be one of those people who first saw Jesus in his resurrected body. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul wrote down a small, short list of some of those people whom Jesus appeared to uh, during that 40-day period. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Like I said last Sunday, it's critical to remember that Jesus did not end his time on earth in humiliation, in weakness, or in hiding. Jesus ended his time on earth in vindication, and in power, and in public. And Jesus finished his time on earth by being physically raised into the heavens as many people stood by and watched. This event called the Ascension of Jesus was God's declaration to the world that the resurrected Christ has now returned to heaven as our victorious Savior and King. Peter O'Brien writes that the resurrection of Jesus proclaims Jesus lives forever. The ascension and exaltation of Jesus proclaims Jesus reigns forever. He rules forever. 
So as we continue our study today in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we'll see that Paul wants us to celebrate that Jesus is exalted in heaven and that he's reigning forever. And in addition, Paul wants us to know that the power of God that resurrected and exalted Jesus in heaven is the same power that God has exercised toward us and within us who believe in Christ. Is that amazing? Most of us have a difficult time grasping that. And that's precisely why Paul prays that the Holy Spirit will empower us to grasp that. Because when we do, it changes the way that we follow Jesus. It changes the way that we follow Jesus in good times and also in bad times. And so if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians 1, verse 15. And before we read this, let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for this really amazing good news um, that is so far beyond our comprehension without your help. And so as we open your word and as we try to grasp these amazing blessings that we have in Christ, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us. We ask that for those of us who are Christians, this would just be an amazing new revelation um, or a new level of revelation, God, in, in, in the truth that we have here in your word. And that for those who don't know you, God, that you would turn the lights on for them too. You would enlighten their hearts to see you as glorious and as the King of kings and Lord of lords that we all desperately need so much. So please help us as we're in your word today. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your, eye, of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, Paul described the incredible spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus Christ right now in the heavenly places. And now here in verses 15 to 23, Paul prays that God would help us to believe and to celebrate those blessings. Specifically, Paul prays here that God would, uh, the Father, God the Father would cause God the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts so that we might realize three amazing realities. First, 
the hope to which God has called us. Second, the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. And third, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. Last time we looked at the first two realities, and today we'll focus on that third reality that Paul wants us to grasp, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. One of the main themes of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is the matchless power and might of God. Paul wanted to drill into the heads and hearts of the Ephesian Christians that Jesus Christ is the one and only, the supreme creator and Lord of the universe. That all human and demonic powers submit to Jesus and to his power. Many of the Christians in Ephesus had come out of witchcraft and sorcery and idolatry. They had devoted their lives to interacting with demonic powers. They used curses and incantations. They often called upon the names of demons and false gods. And so Paul tells them, and he tells us, to stop messing around with demonic powers. That we must call on the name of Jesus alone now. That we must abide in Jesus alone. Jesus is the greatest power. Jesus is the creator of all powers. And so here is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians and for us who believe. May the Father of glory cause his Holy Spirit who lives in you to enlighten your hearts so that you might personally behold and savor and rely upon the immeasurable greatness of Jesus' resurrection power. Is that amazing? Let me say that one more time. This is Paul's prayer for us. May the Father of glory cause his Holy Spirit who lives in you to enlighten your hearts so that you might personally behold and savor and rely upon the immeasurable greatness of Jesus' resurrection power. Paul wants us to grasp the greatness of the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and that exalted him in heaven and that rescued us who believe from the kingdom of darkness. It is good and right that we talk a lot about the wonderful truths of the gospel. And yet, as we grow more and more familiar with these truths, we must be careful never to become bored with these wonderful truths. In today's passage, God wants us to know that Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' ascension, Jesus' exaltation were not trivial things to accomplish. These were not easy things to accomplish by human means. In fact, each of those things are impossible for each of us to accomplish. And they are impossible for every other power except God to accomplish. Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation, and our entire salvation only happened as a result of the unparalleled power worked out by the holy God of the universe. Isn't that amazing? So let's look at today's text. Let's follow it to see how God has exercised his great power in Christ 
And then let's see how God has exercised that same great power toward us. So starting in Ephesians 1.20, Paul describes how God has exercised his great might in Christ. Okay, Paul describes how God has exercised his great might in Christ. He says that God worked his great might in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let's look at each of the six aspects of God's might that are described here. First, God worked his great might when he raised Jesus from the dead. God worked his great might when he raised Jesus from the dead. Hebrews chapter 2 says that ever since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, humans have lived in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. To the fear of death. We live in fear of death because we are chained to death. And the chain that chains us to death is sin. It's our, the power of our disobedience against God, our disobedience of God. And so sin is the chain that enslaves us to death. And our enslavement to death enslaves us to fear of death. As long as humanity has existed, no doctor, no professor, no religion, no shaman, no witch doctor, no witch, no magician, no science lab has been able to conquer death. Even people who supernaturally came back from the dead still died eventually. But God showed how awesome his power is and how unmatched his power is when he raised Jesus back from the dead to never die again. To never die again. God showed us his awesome might on the cross when he broke the chain of sin that enslaves us to death. And God did not merely break that chain, he killed it. God allowed Jesus to become the sin of his people as he hung on the cross, and our sin was killed when Jesus was killed. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. Now, just think about this for a second. There has never been a more eternally powerful death than Jesus' death. Not only was Jesus physically flogged and mocked and spat upon, crucified, stabbed in the heart, but also Jesus became the sin of the billions of people who trust in him. Nobody has ever done that except Jesus. Only Jesus suffered the entirety of God's wrath toward every sin of those billions of adopted sons and daughters. Nobody has suffered as much physically and spiritually as Jesus suffered. 
There's never been a more eternally powerful death than Jesus' death. And if there's never been a more powerful death than Jesus' death, then what does that say about the power of his resurrection? What does that say about his resurrection from the dead? How great is that power that resurrected Jesus from the dead? Only the matchless power of God could do that. Christians, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he demonstrated when he resurrected Jesus from the dead. Second, God worked his great might when he seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. God worked his great might when he seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. Are you powerful enough to transport yourself right now to the feet of Jesus in heaven? No, you're not. Are you powerful enough to transport someone else to heaven right now? No, you're not. Are you powerful enough to find the throne of God in heaven right now and to sit down upon that throne at the right hand of God the Father? No, of course not. But God is that powerful. God can do that. And that is exactly what God has done. By the might of God, Jesus ascended to heaven and he sat down. Jesus sat down because he finished the work he was given to do. Jesus accomplished the redemption of his people by his blood. And where in heaven did Jesus sit down? At the right hand of the Father. GodQuestions.org writes that in ancient times, a person of high rank who put someone on his right hand gave that person equal honor with himself and recognized him as possessing equal dignity and equal authority. This means that God the Father has seated Jesus at his right hand so that we will honor Jesus to the same degree that we honor God the Father. God the Father has gladly seated his son Jesus on his royal throne in heaven at his right hand. God the Father has gladly crowned Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So just think about the kind of divine power it took to make all of this happen. Only God has the divine power and the divine right to share his own throne with anybody, right? Only God the Father has the divine power to share his divine authority, his sovereign authority. The seating of Jesus at the right hand of the Father is the visual fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave at the Great Commission when he said that all power in heaven and on earth belonged to him. Jesus on the royal throne of heaven at the right hand of the Father proclaims to all creation that Jesus is the sovereign authority over all. Jesus is the sovereign authority over all. Christians, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he demonstrated when he seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places.
Third, God worked his great might when he seated Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. The four words that Paul uses here, rule, authority, power, and dominion, not only refer to ranks of earthly power, but also to ranks of angelic and demonic power. The Ephesian Christians would have been very familiar with these four terms because these were the same terms that ancient witches and sorcerers used to describe ranks of demonic powers. And so Paul is making a very important point here when he says that Jesus is seated above all earthly, angelic, and demonic rulers and ranks. See, Jesus and Satan are not uh, in a boxing match fighting it out to see who is mightier and who's going to win. Jesus is seated far above Satan, and Satan is seated under the feet of Jesus. Think, now think about this. Jesus created Satan. <laughs> According to the first chapters of John and Colossians, everything that exists was made through Jesus and is accountable to Jesus. And that includes Satan and his demons. This is why the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, 2-4, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And also, this means obviously that Jesus has power and authority over every human ruler and government. Every president, every king, every prime minister is under the authority of Jesus, and they are accountable to him. Every nation, every government, every military has authority because Jesus Christ has given them authority. And Jesus has commanded them in his word to use their authority to serve him and to protect people. There is no earthly, angelic, or demonic power that is not accountable to Jesus Christ. Only the matchless power of God can empower Jesus with God's supreme rule and power and authority and dominion. Only the power of God can do that. So Christians, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he worked when he seated Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Fourth, God worked his great might when he seated Jesus above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul knew that it was crucial uh, that the Ephesian Christians believe in the supremacy of Jesus's name alone and in the invincibility of Jesus's name alone. When uh, many of them had been magicians and witches before they trusted in Jesus and followed him, they held with great esteem 
the names of false gods and the names of demonic spirits. The, the names of demons represented the, the, the power and the demons themselves. And so <clears throat> when these former magicians and witches uh, had been casting spells, they would invoke the names of demons to manipulate the power of those demons. The Ephesian Christians understood the power of a name, the power that's in a name. And so here Paul says, I want you to treasure no name but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the name above all names. God has powerfully exalted Jesus' name above every name in the universe because only Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this exaltation of Jesus' name is not a temporary exaltation. Jesus, Christ, Jesus Christ's name will forever be exalted and will forever be worshipped above all names. The name of Jesus will never be defeated. It will never be surpassed. In the age to come, people will not bow down to any new God or to any new names. All creation will bow down at the name of Jesus Christ, the one Lord and King and Savior of the universe. The forever exaltation of Jesus Christ is the pinnacle of Paul's famous hymn in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. He writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christians, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he worked when he seated Jesus above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Fifth, God worked his great might when he put all things under Jesus' feet. He worked his great might when he put all things under Jesus' feet. The, the fact that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus shows us God's subduing might. His subduing might. Not only are all angels and demons and human rulers under the feet of Jesus, but also all things are under the feet of Jesus. Everything you can think of are under his feet. All things have been made by Jesus. All things exist for Jesus. All things exist because of Jesus. All things are under Jesus' feet. The cells in your body, 
your heart, your brain, your lungs, the coronavirus, cancer, tiny little ants, majestic eagles, enormous whales, towering trees, rushing rivers, monstrously huge oceans and seas, flashing lightning, howling tornadoes, raging floods, relentless forest fires, awesome clouds, beautiful blue skies, the glowing moon, the scorching sun, mysterious planets, and every distant galaxy in the universe, the supreme and matchless might of God has put them all under the feet of Jesus. That's awesome. Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Before he went to the cross, Jesus explained that this ancient verse was prophetically written about him. The Lord, God the Father, says to my Lord, Jesus, God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now that Jesus is exalted in heaven, all of his creation, including his defeated enemies, are the stool upon which Jesus rests his feet. Wow. Christians ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he worked when he put all things under Jesus' feet. Sixth, God worked his great might when he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. God worked his great might when he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Think about this. Who has so much power that he can give God to anyone? Only God. God the Father gave God the Son, Jesus, to the church, to his people who are his body. Jesus is the head over all his creation, and all creation falls apart without him. And also, in a very special, redemptive way, Jesus is the head of his church, his redeemed people. It is Jesus' death and resurrection that establishes us as his people and unites us as his people. And apart from Jesus and his power, we fall apart. Like I mentioned in my previous sermon, I agree with Peter O'Brien, who says that the fact that Christ fills all in all, like this verse says, does not mean that Jesus physically fills every physical and spiritual object in existence. That belief is called panentheism. Instead, that Christ fills all in all means that as God, Jesus is omnipresent, meaning he's present everywhere, and as God, Jesus is sovereign, which means he is in control of everything everywhere. And so Jesus Christ pervades every part of his created universe with his presence and also with his sovereign control. 
And then that the church is Christ's body, which is the fullness of him, means that Jesus fills his church and he rules his church in a special way with his indwelling spirit and with his grace and with his gifts. And as his redeemed image bearers, we who believe shine forth Jesus's glory and we shine forth Jesus's love to the world and also to the universe. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So Christians, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grasp the greatness of the power of God that he worked when he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. <coughs> so, according to Ephesians 1, 20 to 23, God worked his great might when he raised Jesus from the dead, when he seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places, when he seated Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, when he seated Jesus above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, when he put all things under Jesus' feet, and when he gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Paul wants us to ask the Holy Spirit to help us comprehend the matchless power of God that made these things happen. But that's not all that Paul wants us to grasp. Okay? Now we get to the second part, which is seems even more mind-blowing. God wants you who believe to know that the matchless power of God that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him is the same power that God has worked toward you and within you. Is that amazing? It's the same power that God has worked toward you. Let's see this in the text. Closely, let's look at Ephesians 1.19. Paul prays that by the power of God's Spirit in us, we will know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ. And so this verse says three things about God's power. First, God's power is immeasurably great. Other translations say that God's power is <coughs> surpassingly great or exceedingly great or incomparably great. And the point is here that God's power is exponentially greater than every other power. There's no comparison to God's power. God's power is so great that it is beyond measure. It's not even possible to measure the power of God. Second, the immeasurable greatness of God's power is toward us who believe. It's toward us who believe. So the power of God has, has only been exercised eternally, redemptively toward those who believe. Those who believe the gospel, believe in Jesus. So consequently, a, a person does not have power over death or Satan or demons or hell or sin unless he or she repents and trusts in Jesus for forgiveness and eternal life. Apart from Jesus, a person is eternally powerless. 
<coughs> and yeah, so we'll leave it at that. Third, the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us accords with the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ. Okay, in verse 19, the phrase according to connects the greatness of God's power toward us with the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ. So there's a correspondence there. Paul is saying that the power of God, the resurrected and exalted Jesus, is the same power that God works toward us who believe. This is amazing. So according to verse 10, um, excuse me, according to verse 19, God's power is immeasurably great. God's power is toward us who believe. And God's power toward us accords with, corresponds with, the working of God's great might that he worked in Christ. So this brings us to a fascinating question. How has God worked the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? All right, what does this look like? How, how has God worked to the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The answer, I think, is found in all the blessings of God that Paul describes before verse 19 and after verse 19. In fact, the, <coughs> the rest of Ephesians is a long description of how God has worked his power toward us. But we haven't gotten there yet, so let's just look at what we've already read in Ephesians. According to Ephesians 1, 1 to 23, God worked his great might toward us by choosing us in Christ and by predestinating us for salvation before the foundation of the world. God <clears throat> worked his great might toward us by offering Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as our sacrifice to redeem us. God worked his great might toward us by declaring us holy and blameless before him. God worked his great might toward us by adopting us into his family as his beloved sons and daughters. God worked his great might toward us by reconciling us to himself through Christ. <coughs> so that now we can have a personal friendship with God. God worked his great might toward us by making us born again and sealing us with his Holy Spirit. God worked his great might toward us by giving us a living hope who assures us of our future glory. And God will work his great might toward us by one day bringing all things under the headship of Jesus Christ for his glory and for our eternal joy in him. That is how God has worked the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. <coughs> I've got a cough here, so I want to tell you, if I cut out bits and pieces here, I'm just cutting out my coughs. So if the video looks a little weird, that's why. <coughs> but I'll only do that if the cough gets really bad like it did last week. <coughs> Paul is essentially saying this. This is what he's saying. These spiritual realities should blow your mind 
These should drop your jaws. These should make you tremble in awesome fear because nobody but God can do any of these things and God did all of these things for you. That should blow your mind. It was not a ho-hum little thing to predestine people for salvation by the blood of God's Son before the foundation of the world. Only the power of God could do that, and only the love of God would do that. It was not a small thing for God the Father to lay down His sinless Son to suffer the totality of the Father's eternal wrath toward the sin of His people. Only the power of God can do that. And only the love of God would do that. It was not a feeble thing to transform us from enemies of God into friends of God. And then to adopt us into the family of the holy God of the universe. Only the power of God is mighty enough to do that. And only the love of God would do that. Was it not an easy thing to remove sin from sinners and to replace it with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then to legally declare them not guilty of wrongdoing and fully pleasing to the holy God? <coughs> only the power of God can do that and only the love of God would do that. It was not a weak thing to make dead people alive through regeneration. <clears throat> to change their wills and their minds and hearts so completely that they now repent and believe the gospel and, <clears throat> and then to seal those believers with the Holy Spirit of God. Only the might of God could do that. And only the love of God would do that. God has not accomplished a minor feat by <clears throat> giving us a living hope who assures us of our future glory. Only the power of God can do that, and only the love of God would do that. And the God's, uh, God's future reconciliation of all things under the headship of Christ will not be a trivial thing. Only the might of God can do that, and only the love of God would do that. Now, I want to ask you a question from R.C. Sproul that I've been wrestling with for several weeks. And here's my paraphrase of Sproul's question. According to today's passage, the power within us Christians, the power of God within us, is the same power which God used when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies. According to today's passage, <clears throat> the power within us is the same power God used when he chose us when he died for us, when he redeemed us, when he sanctified us, when he reconciled us, when he adopted us, and when he sealed us. So the question is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That the same power of God is the power God has worked toward you and in you, Christian. As I thought about Sproul's question, <clears throat> my first question was this. 
does the passage actually say that God's power within Christians is the same power that God used to accomplish all these amazing things? <coughs> Technically, it looks to me like the verse says that God has worked his power toward us, not necessarily in us. So, can we truly say that this same power of God is in us and that it is actually at our disposal? And after studying it quite a bit, I came to the conclusion that yes, <clears throat> Paul is saying here that the power of God within Christians and at our disposal is the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead and to exalt him to the highest place in heaven. And to save us. And here's how I came to that conclusion. <clears throat> I, spent a, I, I spent some time researching the Greek word here, here uh, for toward, which also means to, like T-O, to, or for, F-O-R, for, <laughs> and in. And so depending on the context in which that word is used, which is of the uttermost importance when trying to figure out how to translate a word, one could potentially say that God has worked his immeasurably great power to us or toward us who believe, that God has worked his immeasurably great power for us who believe, and that God has worked his immeasurably great power in us who believe. And <clears throat> it's that last interpretation that I was struggling with. Is this awesome power of God truly in us? and at our disposal to use. And this is where the context is so vitally important. The reason I concluded that yes, this awesome power of God is actually in us and at our disposal is because in the same letter to the Ephesians, Paul says it is. He says it. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. According to the power at work within us. Wow, the same awesome power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted him, in heaven and that saved you and me from start to finish is at work within us and with this power in us god is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think this is mind-blowing stuff this is incredible dr martin lloyd jones says something really important here <clears throat> about today's passage he says the Apostle Paul is not so much praying that the Ephesians may be given power as that they know the power of God that is already working in them. And I totally agree. Paul is not praying here that God would give us a power that we don't have yet. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would help us to see and believe that the measurably great power of God is already in us and available to us now. Wow. Now, if we read the Bible, 
<clears throat> then this shouldn't be a total surprise to us. Just think about the times that Jesus encouraged us to pray for seemingly impossible things. And he said that he would grant those things that align with his perfect will. And so if God tells us in his word through the Apostle Paul and through Jesus that we have in us and at our disposal the same power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead, then why do we have such a hard time believing it's true? Why don't we live like that's true? Why don't we pray like that's true? Why don't we feel the immeasurably great power of God at work in us? Pastor John Piper helpfully notes that the most basic reason Paul gives here for why we often don't feel the resurrection power of God in us is because the eyes of our hearts are dull to spiritual reality, even as Christians. The eyes of our hearts are dull to spiritual reality. <clears throat> and this is precisely why Paul prays that God would enlighten our hearts. Paul prays that God would use the same power of God that raised Jesus to help us comprehend the greatness of his power that raised Jesus. Paul prays that God would help us to believe that this same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us and that it's at our disposal. Can you imagine the practical differences it would make in your life if you truly grasped and truly trusted in the power of the resurrected Christ who lives in you? How would you pray differently if you truly believed that through prayer you have access to the exact same power that raised Jesus from the dead? How would you share the gospel differently if you truly believed that the same power of God that raised Jesus and you from the dead is at work in you? How would you invest your time and talents and treasures differently if you truly comprehended that you have in you the same power of God that gave Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for sinners and as the head of his church? How would you kill sin in your life and sinful habits in your life? How would you engage in spiritual warfare differently if you truly believe that you have the same power of Jesus Christ in you that already defeated sin, Satan, death, and hell on the cross and in his resurrection? Isn't this mind-blowing to think about? It is, it is so mind-blowing and so difficult for us to grasp that it totally makes sense that Paul knows that we will not grasp it unless the Holy Spirit helps us to grasp it. And so, <clears throat> so we should pray Paul's prayer for ourselves and for one another, that the Holy Spirit would enlighten our hearts to know, to see and to savor and to utilize the immeasurable great power of God that is in us this power that we can employ through Christ. Let's pray that God would help us to never grow bored of the good news of Jesus and of all his blessings toward us. Let's pray that God would empower us to respond rightly to him 
for saving us so mightily. Let's ask God to help us respond to him with thankfulness to him and praise to him and obedience to his commands. Let's ask God to help us put to use the power that he has already given us to do his will in our lives. And together, let's use our time and our talents and our treasures to see the good news of Jesus declared to every person and to every people group on planet Earth. Let's give our lives to see Jesus' name exalted higher than any other name because Jesus is exalted higher than every other name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this awesome news. There's so much uh, meat here to chew on, God, and we just ask your Holy Spirit would help us do that, help us to grasp the incomparable power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead, exalted him in heaven, and that saved us and that's alive and working in us by the power of the Spirit. Lord, help us to be people of power. Help us to rely on you and your power and to use the power of the Spirit to do your will and not our own. We pray this for the glory of your name and for our blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, if you have prayer requests, please feel free to contact us and send them in and we'll continue to pray for you. Please continue to check in on each other and love one another and encourage one another during this time. We love you and we're thinking about you. We hope to see you soon. Thanks.